Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Gene Bauer, is co-founder and president of Farm Sanctuary, America's leading farm animal protection organization. Bauer has been hailed as the conscience of the food movement by Time Magazine, was a pioneer in undercover investigations, and instrumental in passing the first U.S. laws to ban inhumane factory farming practices. Beginning in the 1980s, he has traveled extensively, campaigning to raise awareness about the abuses of animal agriculture and our cheap food system. Gene Bauer has a master's degree in agricultural economics from Cornell University and is a faculty member at John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. He's also been a vegan since 1985 and recently started competing in marathons and triathlons, including an Ironman, to demonstrate the benefits of a plant-based diet. He is the author of the best-selling book, Farm Sanctuary, Changing Hearts and Minds About Animals and Food, listed as one of Booklist's top 10 science and technology books of 2008. And he's here today in advance of his visit to Portland on the 21st to talk about his latest book, Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, The Ultimate Guide to Eating Mindfully, Living Longer, and Feeling Better Every Day. Welcome to Health Watch, Gene Bauer. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's just orient our, our listeners briefly to the origins of Farm Sanctuary. What is Farm Sanctuary, and, and, and how did it start? Yeah, well, Farm Sanctuary started back in 1986 with the intention of exposing the abuses of industrialized animal agriculture. So we started investigating farms and stockyards and slaughterhouses, and we would literally find living animals thrown on, in trash cans or on piles of dead animals. So we started rescuing them, and then our shelter operations started, our education programs evolved, and today we operate three farms, one in upstate New York, two in California, and we're going to be opening a fourth one in New Jersey with Tracy and John Stewart, Uh, so that'll be our fourth rescue operation. But these sanctuaries, in addition to caring for animals, become a place to model a different kind of relationship with cows and chickens and pigs and turkeys and sheep, where they're our friends, not our food. And we want people to recognize that farm animals, like all animals, are living, feeling creatures who deserve to be treated with respect. So we rescue, we care for, we educate people, and then we advocate for reforms. We've we've worked on some laws to prevent some of the worst cruelties to animals. For example, when they're packed in cages so tightly they can't even turn around, we've worked to ban those kinds of systems. And we also encourage citizens to make more mindful choices about their food. The reason these animals are treated so badly is because most consumers are unwittingly purchasing animal products that are supporting this horrible industry. So we want people just to think about their food choices and ultimately to to live and eat in a way that is aligned with their own values so they can feel good about it and also that's aligned with their own interests. Eating a whole foods plant-based diet is very good for our health and it's also very good for the earth. You mentioned in in the book, Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, the transformative effect uh, of people visiting the farm itself, um, that many high-profile people and and everyday people who visited the farm have uh, changed their diets dramatically. You mentioned John Stewart, for instance, um, and also even you had a fur farmer living across the street, which I would imagine at the beginning might have been an awkward uh, coexistence. Yes, it was indeed. And, you know, with Farm Sanctuary, one of our organizational values is that we speak to people where they are on their own journeys. 
and we support incremental steps that people take towards living more kindly, living in a way that's not supporting this horrible industry. So I think for many that is very palatable. Uh, the idea of going vegan overnight can sometimes be frightening to people. Uh, we do also advocate a vegan lifestyle. I've been vegan since 1985. But we also recognize that each person has to make their own choices and that sometimes it takes a number of steps before they ultimately become vegan. And we're happy with any step in, in the direction of living more mindfully. So that's part of our approach, and it's and it served us well. And I think many people, as a result, have been open to the idea of eating less meat, and then often that leads to them eating no meat. Well, let's talk about some of the benefits of reducing meat consumption. Uh, one of them that I that isn't spoken about a lot is the connection between uh, livestock agriculture and meat consumption and uh, global warming. Can can we parse some of that out? And what how would you how would you characterize the effect on global warming of this aspect versus other things like driving a car or flying in a plane, for instance? Yeah. Well, the. The United Nations actually put out a report a few years ago called Livestock's Long Shadow. And in that report, they talked about the negative impacts animal agriculture is having on our planet. And they said animal agriculture is one of the top contributors to our globe's most significant environmental problems. And they cited climate change and said animal agriculture contributes more to climate change than the entire transportation industry. So if you took all the trains, cars, planes, and combined all of the greenhouse gas emissions, it would amount to less than those that are produced by animal agriculture. So changing the way we eat and choosing to eat plants instead of animals is one of the most important and impactful things we can do to lessen our carbon footprint and to minimize the risks of, of climate change. There were all sorts of stunning uh, facts or surprising facts for me. Uh, here in the West, obviously, we have uh, a lot of discussions about w- water and drought. And uh, y- you mentioned in the book that it takes 100 pounds of water to produce a pound of wheat, 2,000 pounds of water for a liter of milk, and 20,000 pounds of water for a pound of beef, which is a pretty remarkable scaling up of water usage. Yes, yes. Plant-based agriculture is far more efficient than animal agriculture in so many ways. To raise animals for food, they have to be fed, and they are routinely fed grains that are grown, oftentimes on irrigated land. So you have all this corn and soybeans, for example, that are mass-produced, and then those are harvested and fed to farm animals. If human beings ate these grains and other feed crops or other crops grown on land that's used to grow feed crops. And if we ate those directly as human beings, we could feed something like 10 times more people on the same amount of land. And there are now new uh, indoor veganic farms that are starting to sprout up. They're even more efficient. So if our intention is to produce food without exploiting and despoiling scarce resources, the best way to do that is to shift towards eating plants. And it's just much more efficient in terms of the water usage, in terms of the acreage that is needed, in terms of the fossil fuels. There's a New York Times article a few years ago called Rethinking the Meat Guzzler. And in the article, the author compared the amount of fossil fuels needed for a vegetarian meal versus a meat meal. And he found that it took 16 times more fossil fuels for the meat meal. 
So the energy and the resources that go into feeding this animal-based diet are immense, and it's something that we need to come to terms with. And, and I think as people look at it, you know, they're going to come around and recognize that it doesn't make sense to eat in a way that is so wasteful. And then on top of that, you, you cite that uh, over a third of the ice-free land surface in, in the world is dedicated to raising and grazing livestock. So that must inevitably have a huge effect on, on the health of forests and on biodiversity. Absolutely. One of the uh, problems that the United Nations cited that animal agriculture is responsible for is the loss of biodiversity. And that is because we are cutting down rainforest, we are destroying a natural ecosystem, and we are replacing these with monocrop seed crops like corn and soybeans that are also oftentimes genetically manipulated. So, you know, this is an industry that has a very large footprint. And in many ways, it can seem so untouchable because it is so large. But on the other hand, it's something every one of us can do something about. Because the reason this industry is as powerful as it is, is because most consumers are purchasing meat, milk, and eggs, and not really thinking very much about the consequences of that. So I just, you know, in in living the farm sanctuary life, we talk about living in a way that is aligned with our values and aligned with our interests. And it's not in our interest to support a food business that's destroying the planet the way animal agriculture is. We're talking today with Gene Bauer, the co-founder of Farm Sanctuary, about his latest book, Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, The Ultimate Guide to Eating Mindfully, Living Longer, and Feeling Better Every Day. So, Gene, let's talk about some of the health benefits. Uh, What are the studies showing regarding shifting to more plants and less animals? Well, there's actually a great movie out. It's called Forks Over Knives. And it highlights the careers of two doctors who've worked on health and nutrition for decades. And what that film says and what the experts say is that we could save something like 70% on health care costs in the U.S. by shifting to a whole foods, plant-based diet. That's phenomenal. And in the film, and in, there are many examples of this, people who shift towards eating healthier plant foods and whole foods instead of processed animal foods, start losing weight. They get off their diabetes medication. They get off heart medication. They're able to reverse heart disease. Um, you know, Dean Ornish has written on this for many years, a doctor out in California. So the more we look, the more we see that food, in fact, can be more like a medicine. Uh, but if we're eating food that's bad for us, it's more like a poison. And sadly, in this country, we eat food that makes us sick, and it's it's not in our interest, but it's, it's a habit most of us grow up with. I grew up eating meat like everybody around me, and when I looked at it and recognized that it was coming from animals who were horribly mistreated, that it was a system that was destroying the planet when it came to animal agriculture, and when I learned that I could live well without eating animal foods, I felt if I can live well without causing harm, why wouldn't I? And in fact, people's health generally improves when they become vegetarian or vegan. So it makes all the sense in the world. It's good for the animals, who obviously don't like to be mistreated on these farms. It's good for the earth. It's also good for our own health. And you you mentioned eight plants that have particularly unexpected health benefits. Could you talk about some of the the plants that are particularly good to be eating um, in in the transition to a more plant-based diet? 
Well, some of these are very easily widely available. And, you know, I've done several marathons now. I've done an Ironman triathlon and several other triathlons. And so what I found is things like arugula, this leafy green salad, um, is a performance enhancer. It's something that's very good for athletic performance and just good for nutrition generally. Uh, ginger and turmeric are also excellent to put in shakes. For example, smoothies, they're very good for recovery for athletes. Uh, and, you know, if you had to look at all the foods we eat, and if you needed to come up with one nutrient that Americans need to eat more of, it would be fiber. And there is no fiber in meat or dairy products or eggs. There is a lot of fiber in whole plant foods, in beans, in greens, in vegetables, in fruits, and whole grains. These are the kinds of foods that we should be eating, and they help us in so many ways. They, the fiber also helps to absorb and remove toxins from our system, whereas if we're eating meat, uh, it sticks in our system for a long time. And our bodies are not well-suited to digest and assimilate meat. A natural carnivore has a very short intestinal tract, but human beings have a very long intestinal tract. So in the case of meat consumption, we have this putrefying piece of flesh that enters our body, and it can take days to pass through. And a putrefying piece of meat at a 98.6 degree moist environment for days is not a pretty sight, and it's not good for us. So eating high-fiber, whole plant foods helps to remove those kinds of unhealthy uh, things from our bodies. Uh, they help our bodies function very well. And, you know, if you think about human beings and ask naturally, what are we best suited to eat? We're much better suited to eat plant foods as opposed to animal foods. And not only the digestive tract issue that I, that I just mentioned, but if you think about it, if human beings were natural carnivores, and if we saw an injured or dying or dead animal, we would salivate. But we don't tend to do that. And, you know, there was a book by Harvey Diamond some years ago, and in it he said, if you take a child and put him in a room with a rabbit and an apple, and if he eats the rabbit and plays with the apple, I'll buy you a new car. You know, the child's not inclined to go and tear up and eat a rabbit. They're more inclined to play with these animals. That's, I think, much more natural to our humanity and healthier as well for it. It's healthier emotionally to play with an animal as opposed to kill them. So this is, you know, what we're talking about, I think, is really very much aligned with who we are. It's aligned with our interests. It is good for us. It is good for animals. It's good for the earth. When you go to the biological argument, um, and we look at the 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 sort of the the consensus from anthropology around humans being omnivores, um, why do you think there haven't been cultures that have been um, vegan cultures, uh, entire you know populations that have been vegan? If that is the the biological imperative to be vegan, and secondly, just to, to add on that is. Um, the issues around potentially, say, like megoblastic anemia or vitamin D deficiency that do arise with people who eat a, a vegan diet? I would say that human beings biologically are very adaptable, that we have evolved and are able to survive by eating many different kinds of things. 
And over the course of our history, we have eaten meat when we've needed to to survive. We've also eaten people when we've needed to to survive. But today, we can make the choice not to make to, to eat other creatures. Um, and if you look over the course of human history, the vast majority of the food that we have consumed has been plant-based. And that's why today, when you get ethnic foods, for example, like Mexican food or Chinese food or Ethiopian food or Thai food, uh, it tends to be largely plant-based with increasing influence of uh, in affluent countries. They're starting to put more meat in those ethnic foods. But traditional ethnic foods tend to be more plant-based. And that is because plants are just much more efficient to grow and to consume. And human beings can live well with those. Now, in terms of vegan human societies over the course of human history, um, they have historically been denigrated like they are today. And, you know, there are assumptions that I think are unfair about being vegan. If somebody is vitamin D deficient, for example, and they're vegan, oftentimes people will assume it's because of their vegan diet. But many people in our population, meat eaters and included, are vitamin D deficient. So I don't think that that's a fair um, assessment that, you know, the vegan diet that's causing this problem. Uh, and, you know, over the course of human history, there have been a number of vegans and some very well-known, like Pythagoras, for example. The, the Greek philosopher, mystic, mathematician, uh, who actually had a, 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 call, a group that he hung around with, that it was a, an intentional vegan community. So uh, this vegan lifestyle is not new. It is something that's been around for a long time. It also challenges certain assumptions about who, who humans are and what our place is on the planet. Uh, there's a book out called Meat Hooked that talks about the long history of human beings eating meat. And the basic end conclusion is that. Why do we eat meat? Because it represents power. And that's why when you have countries that become more affluent, there's a tendency to eat more meat because it demonstrates that they can appropriate more resources. They can use more land. They can exploit other animals and people. And so meat oftentimes comes with this notion of power. And, and in my mind, that's very important to look at. And I think that, ironically, eating meat makes us sick and, and, and causes all kinds of problems. But, you know, there's been this belief that meat is good for us, it, it, that you need it for strength, which is a complete myth. In fact, uh, very powerful athletes are completely plant-based, and they're breaking world records, carrying more weight than anybody, any human has ever carried on a vegan diet. You have elite endurance athletes that perform at a very high level as vegans. Scott Jurek, for example, won the Western States 100-mile race seven times in a row on a vegan diet. Uh, he won the Spartathlon, which is like a 250-mile race in Greece, on a vegan diet. So this idea that you can't get everything you need eating plants is, is just not the case. And, but, but there are prejudices out, out there, and there are beliefs out there that, that you know, we're continuously having to deal with. And another one is that you can't get enough protein from plants, which is completely untrue. Well, now that we're on the topic of, of myths, Gene, let's let's talk a little bit about eggs and milk, because I know a lot of people believe that they're eating more humanely if they're eating eggs and milk, but not eating 
uh, animal flesh. Can can you parse out that myth for, for our listeners? Sure. Well, people who care about animals oftentimes say, I don't want to eat them, so I'm going to go vegetarian, and that's a very good thing to do. But then they say, or they believe that because cows are not killed for their milk or chickens are not necessarily killed immediately for their eggs, that those are more humane alternatives. Well, in fact, dairy and eggs in some ways are, are worse. Uh, animals that are raised for meat are usually killed at a very young age. Pigs, for example, are slaughtered at six months old. Chickens are slaughtered at six weeks old. In the case of a dairy cow, they are pushed to their biological limit. They have a calf every year because in order to produce milk, they have to have a calf. Uh, cows, like humans, are mammals, and they only produce milk after they've had a baby. So they're forced to have a baby. The, calf, the baby is taken away, and then the milk is sold for humans. The cows are hooked up to milk machines two or three times a day. They're pushed to produce about 10 times more milk than they would produce in nature. Their bodies wear out and they're usually sent to slaughter after just about three years in production. So these cows have a difficult, longer life, and then they're ultimately killed for meat. In the case of egg-laying hens, most of them live their lives in these small wire cages where they're packed so tightly they can't even stretch their wings. Their feathers constantly scrape against the bars of their cages and wear off. They end up with bruises and abrasions on their bodies, and they'll live this way for about a year. Uh, before they're sent to slaughter. So egg-laying hens have it very bad. Dairy cows have it very bad. Animals raised for meat also have it very bad, but they don't live as long. So their suffering is, is less in that way. Well, you, you mentioned at the beginning how you, you take an incremental approach. And I, I, I found that to be one of the most appealing parts of this book, because obviously um, there is a consensus among uh, people who aren't vegans, say Michael Pollan or Mark Bittman, that eating far less meat uh, and far less often is actually both beneficial for for human health and for the health of the planet. And so you do offer these these um, different ways to approach this issue, both small steps and big steps in the book. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things I mentioned in the book is a program called Meatless Mondays where people, for one day a week, pledge not to eat meat. And that is a very good start. And when people go meatless on Monday, they start learning what they can do instead of eating animal foods. And they become more comfortable with different vegan options. And that makes them more likely to eat those later on in the week. So small steps often lead to bigger steps. And sometimes it's very easy. For example, you know, people are used to eating spaghetti and meatballs, and they wonder, how would I like that without the meat? The good news is there are all kinds of vegan substitutes for meat products. So you can get vegan meatballs, and you can have spaghetti and meatballs just with these vegan meatballs, which you can often get in mainstream grocery stores in the freezer section. So uh, it's not that hard to shift away from eating animal foods to eating plant foods. You can even eat pretty much the same dishes, but just making substitutions. Uh, can you talk a little bit before the show ends today about your visit to Portland? Um, what's bringing you here? Yeah, I'm going to be there and going to be part of a discussion about animals and our food at the First Unitarian Church on uh, Southwest 12th and Salmon, Salmon Street. Uh, doors open at 6 p.m. And we're going to be, I'll be there with my friend Alex Lockwood, who wrote a book called The Pig in Thin Air. 
and I'll be talking about my book, Farm Sanctuary, Changing Hearts and Minds About Animals and Food and Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, and just describing how important it is for us to think about our food and to live in a way that we can feel good about, that doesn't cause unnecessary harm, that is healthy for us. So um, I'm very much looking forward to visiting Portland. Uh, I love that city. It's very vegan-friendly. And we'll be at the First Unitarian Elliott Chapel um, in Southwest on uh, on the, the 21st. On oh, the 21st. And do you have uh, some online resources you could point people to as well? Yeah, people can check out the Farm Sanctuary website, which is farmsanctuary.org. We also have a Facebook page. And I also have a, a Facebook page with under Gene Bauer and a Twitter account and all that, so and Instagram. So you can go online and follow Farm Sanctuary Gene Bauer on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and see what we're doing and, and get involved in our program. And, and maybe lastly, on a political note, can you, can you mention any upcoming legislation if people want to get involved in anything at the moment? Is there any, anything happening at the moment that, that would uh, ha- help to have citizen support? You know, there's a federal bill that was just introduced by, uh, in the U.S. Senate to limit and expose the dealings of agribusiness and government uh, support program. So it's still a little bit early, but Cory Booker, the senator from New Jersey, is one of the authors of that. And so that might be something worth getting involved in. Um, legislatively, things are fairly slow going. And I think the marketplace is really where people can have the biggest difference by choosing not to eat animal foods and choosing to support businesses that provide vegan food. So I, I would just encourage people to do that first. And then also get to know their elected officials and um, start making uh, making their concerns known to their elected officials more generally. Uh, but there's not really any hot legislative issues underway right now, especially in on the West Coast. There will be an initiative in Massachusetts this November to ban the confinement of animals in uh, small cages and crates. So if anybody lives in Massachusetts, keep an eye out for... Um, uh, vote yes on number three. It'll be on the ballot. Um, but uh, legislation is a, a long haul, and I think the marketplace is going to play a big role in changing the way these animals are mistreated and changing our food system. Well, thanks for being on Health Watch today, Gene, and, and hopefully some listeners will come out to the Unitarian Church on the 21st to hear more. Okay, sounds wonderful. Would love love for that to happen. Thanks very much for having me. We're talking today to Gene Bauer, the co-founder of Farm Sanctuary and the author of Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, The Ultimate Guide to Eating Mindfully, Living Longer, and Feeling Better Every Day. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host.